Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. is episode 139 of the Dope Nostalgia Pod Podcast. My name's Naomi. I've been doing this now for obviously 139 episodes. So if this is your first time tuning in, I hope you get a chance to check out the back catalog. We have such a good time on this show talking to the artists that made music as well as about them. And today is one of those episodes where we made a new friend. Nick Morrison is on the show today talking about one of the best hard rock albums that came out in the 90s i know i'm opinionated but the band extreme are amazing so extreme 2 porno graffiti was a huge massive hit due to a single they put out that was a ballad an acoustic guitar ballad called more than words that song is still huge to this day but the funny thing about it is it sounds nothing like everything else on the album here's a little more information on extreme 2 porno graffiti Wikipedia moment. Please bear in mind that Wikipedia is not to be taken as actual 100% fact. Any donkey could edit it at any time. If I'm reading you the artist's bio, that stuff is real truth. Thanks, Andrew. Extreme 2 Porno Graffiti is the second studio album by the heavy metal band Extreme, released on August 7th, 1990 through AM Records. Extreme 2 sold very well, peaking at number 10 on the Billboard 200 and was certified double platinum in the U.S. by the RIAA. It is the band's best-selling album. Two singles from Porno Graffiti, More Than Words and Wholehearted, which is the song playing right now, reached number one and number four, respectively, on the Billboard Hot 100. Two other tracks, Decadence Dance and Get the Funk Out, became popular on MTV's Headbangers Ball. Porno Graffiti is a concept album, so its story is about lost innocence and uneasiness. Though the album focuses on the same funk metal vibe as their debut, it became massively popular due to the acoustic single More Than Words. According to authors H.P. Newquist and Pete Prown, the album has a bewildering array of song styles, heavy metal, ballads, funk, etc. The album received largely positive reception. All music reviewer Steve Huey gave the album four stars and commented, that the band shows a strong desire to experiment and push the boundaries of the pop metal format. Rolling Stone placed the album at 13th on their list of the 50 greatest hair metal albums of all time. Ultimate Classic Rock ranked it at 8th in their top 30 glam metal albums. Heavy metal author Martin Popoff, in his book The Big Book of Hair Metal, called the album a thinking man's hair metal album with thoughtful lyrics and tasteful guitar work. Lead guitarist Nuno Betancourt garnered admiration from rock guitar enthusiasts as he was voted Best New Talent in a 1991 Reader's Poll by Guitar World magazine, and that magazine later named him Most Valuable Player of 1991. In 2010, after the band's reunion in the previous years, rumors started about possible commemorative shows given the 20th anniversary of the record. In 2012, the band played the entire album for four tour dates in Japan, in January 2014, the band confirmed they would be performing Porno Graffiti in its entirety on their 2014 Europe and UK tour. And then in 2015, the band embarked on an extensive US tour commemorating the album's 25th anniversary. 
I was one of the lucky people who got to fly to Chicago to see the guys do the entire album at the Chicago House of Blues. And now I'm going to welcome a very special guest to talk all things porno graffiti with me today. Welcome to Nick Morrison. The cool thing is, you said mountain time. I was like, Canada and mountain time. You could really only be in two places. So a couple places, right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> Edmonton, Calgary, maybe Red Deer. That's right. Possibly Lethbridge. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I find that it's really very rare to find any guests on my show that are ever in mountain time. It's always Eastern time. Yeah. Well, there's just more people out there, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I was actually born in Windsor right across the border from Detroit. So. Oh, um, okay. And I, I, I grew up there for a little while and then moved way up north, northern Ontario, and then went back to Windsor for university and then out, out east to Boston. But um you know, all my family's still back out there. We're out east or out west here because my, my wife's family's from Alberta. So I see. Perfect. So welcome, Nick, to Dope Nostalgia. I wanted to introduce Nick Morrison. Of course, he's got a very active presence on YouTube, Facebook, guitardojo.ca. Can you tell our listeners a bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. What do you, what do you want to hear first? <laughs> it sounds like you've got a lot going on let's start I, with this this title of uh guitarist yeah i mean basically everything i do you can boil down to guitar and music mm-hmm. um but my primarily how i've made a living for the past decade and a bit is through uh, commercial placements of my film or of my music for film and tv uses so i do incidental music and i do um what's called interstitial music. So like uh, if you're listening to the radio and they cut to commercial, sometimes you'll hear uh, what's called a bumper. That's like interstitial. Mm -hmm. Same thing for TV, right? So I do that kind of stuff. I do corporate work for you know, anybody and everybody that'll, that'll pay me. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, and then background music. And a lot of it is either replacement or completely just scene driven stuff where somebody, um, you know, a production house is my classic example is they've got, you know, two guys in a car driving a black, you know, 1967 Chevelle or something. And they want to have ACDC black and back back in black pounding in the background, but they don't want to pay half a million dollars to license that track. So they come to a guy like me and go, Hey, can you give us 30 seconds of something that sounds like back in black and Uh I'm like sure and so I record that and send it off and away you go and um, I've been really lucky I've got some you know I've I've had some really great placements over the years some other ones not so great but it's a it's a case where you kind of do work once and then you get paid for it forever as long as Mm -hmm. that show remains on TV you know the dream is to write the theme song for something like friends you know (laughs) right Um, do that once I mean those guys are millionaires off of like 28 seconds of music right so right. um good for them and that but like i said that's the dream so that's kind of primarily what i've done um prior to that i was a, a touring musician and session musician i did uh, um work for you know lots of different artists and, and touring support and um i did mm. broadway across canada if you've ever heard of that i did like mamma mia and greece and i did one I other have... show i can't remember we we, we toured <laughs> and uh it was a lot of fun but you get you get tired of that hence the sort of shift into the film and tv music mm-hmm. and then um Unfortunately, due to, you know, uh, or maybe fortunately, I guess, because, you know, you get older and it's like you start thinking, okay, how can I give back? How can I help the younger generation? How can I give my because I'm not going to be here forever. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how can I pass on what I know to to other people? So 2019 saw, of course, or 2020, excuse me, saw the end of touring, the end of gigging um, uh. and major decline in production um 
production for like film t everything was shut down and so i thought okay well i've been i've always taught kind of on the side like just like little supplemental things i'd take on a student here take on a student there and it's usually you know like a, a college prep thing so it's like three weeks or six weeks or something um but i thought okay well i've always thought i'd like to write a book you know guitar method stuff because the way i teach and the the way that i approach guitars it's not like dissimilar from other people but i've kind of got the way that i do things and normally you know i'd present a student with a, a reading list or a required you know textbooks and mm -hmm. they look at me or their parents would look at me like this is like 500 dollars worth of textbooks are you out of your mind right because it would be you know one chapter here three pages there da 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 da, da. so i decided i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna finally write the book that i've been meaning to write for 15 years and so I did, and I've, I've actually written two books, well, three if you count, count sort of, I've got a, a free lead magnet book that I use, or a, what we'd call like a free giveaway. Mm -hmm. And um, and I've got a, 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 a third one coming out uh, probably September, October this year, and then that'll sort of complete the set of the beginner basics books, and then I may do some more uh, other work for some more, more advanced stuff. I'm sorry, I'm probably talking your ear off. Um, hey, that's less what we're here for. <laughs> we're about that's good. Less about me and more about me. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, and then this year, actually, in January, I launched my own uh, guitar learning app. So you mentioned oh, my wow. website, guitardojo.ca, um, mm -hmm. and that's where people can just kind of go to learn about me, and they can find um, one-off lessons, courses. You know, I've got some ear training on there. I've got some basic soloing stuff, like whatever. Um, but they can also find the free preview for my app. So I've developed this thing called the Fretboard Infinity Loop System, which really allows anybody. I primarily work with intermediate guitar players. Mm -hmm. But it allows anybody to like master the fretboard and really learn how to solo, learn how to improvise, learn how to make the, the sounds that are in their head and in their hearts come out of their guitar without being bogged down with like theory and frustration and uh. jargon. So that's what the app is for. It's for the delivery of that system because it's just so much more convenient. You know, I know a lot of guys around my age, you know, they, they get up at like 5.30, 6 a.m., go to work. They work all day. They come home. They've got chores to do. They've got kids to run around to, you know, different activities and things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe they get to have a glass of wine and some dinner with their wife. And then it's like 930, 10 o'clock. They pass out. Maybe they wake up at two in the morning and they're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm wide awake, but I don't want to bug anybody. So you pull open the app, put on your headphones, strum a little guitar back to bed or whatever so it's very very convenient um mm. for people that way and uh thus far it's been been pretty exciting been lots of fun uh the feedback's been the feedback has been fantastic and uh it, that's kind of what i've been up to <laughs> that's fantastic and it's very beneficial for for people to know all this stuff you also have like a youtube channel that yes you're, yeah and uh are you providing like some lessons on there or something? yeah absolutely so the youtube the YouTube um, is really the the free arm of my business, if you want to put it that way. Um, and so I, every day, I'm, I'm moving to a new sort of content strategy. So it used to be once a week. Now I'm moving to an everyday type thing. Um, and then, so it's youtube.com slash Samurai Fingers. Mm. Um, you can see my hat. <laughs> but uh, I'm also Samurai Fingers on like Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. And the idea there is to put out free content, whether it's riffs, licks, here's the secret to playing a, you know, your favorite Motley Crue song or whatever it happens to be. Um, mm -hmm. And all usually about 10 minutes or less. And so people, if they're not interested in paying for, you know, my services or for my like lessons or like formal course, just follow the YouTube, have some fun. And, and I, I hope 
that I provide some pretty cool value. I also put out, you know, yeah. covers and my original songs and stuff like that. Things that aren't um, licensed or released. It's a lot of like B-sides and like experimental stuff that I've been working on. But uh, it, it's been fun and it's been a grind. YouTube is a... Um, YouTube is a harsh mistress. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, it gets people's feet wet into what you're doing. And especially if they want to just learn that little lick for a yeah, favorite song, then they know what you're offering out there. And if they want to invest more and get more into playing, you're the right guy to go to. So Absolutely. that's wonderful. Very wonderful. From uh, Calgary, well, Alberta. And I'm up here in Edmonton. Yeah. <laughs> the three hour drive. Um, so Good thing we're having this chat now and not like a month ago. Yeah, why? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> the good old uh, Battle of Alberta in the NHL. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I um not being from out here, I was I was not really ever um, akin to that. So I don't really understand the whole uh, Edmonton Calgary rivalry. I mean, I live here, so I mean, I get it. But like, it's not like part of me. Are um, you a Leafs also, fan? I'm a really bad Canadian. I don't like hockey. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> I don't follow hockey. I don't follow basketball, football, um, uh, any. I don't. I, I don't really follow sports. So that's fair. Like I said, I'm a bad. Hockey's Canadian. expensive anyway. I lived. I lived in Japan, so I am a little weird. Um, I lived in Japan for about five years, and um, so I actually follow sumo. Oh, so awesome. you know the big fat guys in diapers that tip each other over. Hence the dojo. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Wow, I that's my bucket list right there. Number one to visit is uh, Japan, yeah. Tokyo, and seeing the rural areas too. Yes. Going to see Mount Fuji and whatnot. Yeah, well, it's funny. Mount Fuji is not as rural as you think. You can actually get a mm. tour bus that will take you all almost all the way to the top. So you can you can they have tour packages that you'll leave from Tokyo, um, and you leave basically the day before, around three four in the afternoon, mm. and they'll drive you out to a hotel relatively close to Fuji then they wake you up or maybe you just don't go to bed um at like midnight or one o'clock they drive you up three quarters or seven eighths of the way up the mountain and mm. there's a big parking lot and like bathrooms and the whole bit and then you hike up for the last 45 minutes and you watch the sunrise over oh, wow. the clouds from the top of Fuji and then you kind of hike back down grab your snacks jump back on the bus and away you go so like that's the really really super touristy version of it they yeah. have another side of the mountain that you can actually climb and do the whole thing in one go, but it's like a six and a half hour hike or something like that. Knowing me, I would, I would take the tourist route, but I definitely mm. want to make that trip. Yes. I, I highly encourage it. You know, it's funny. I lived there five years and I never did Fuji. Mm. Um, the Japanese have a saying, right? Um, a fool climbs Mount Fuji. A great fool climbs Fuji twice. <laughs> I don't know why they say that, but. <laughs> well, I hope to get out there eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically when we were talking about artists that you would like to discuss, Extreme came up on the list, which is amazing to me because they are basically in like my top three bands of all time. Beautiful. I've traveled to see them. Nice. You know? When did you first uh, experience the the band? How old were you and how did you get into them? So I would have been. And of course, it sounds funny because this is so lame, but I was like 11 when More Than Words came out. Mm -hmm. And you could not turn on much music for more than about 25 minutes without seeing More Than Words, Nirvana, mm, 
smell a teen spirit smells like teen spirit mm-hmm. and enter sandman by metallica like those videos were in such high rotation maybe cherry pie by warrant and maybe um uh what was the other one by damn yankees high enough i think was around oh i love time. that song yeah great song but like so it was everywhere and then you turn on the radio every 35 minutes you'd hear more than words and it's a great song so that was like my first exposure um mm-hmm. It's funny, I actually have a vivid, vivid, vivid memory of being at my family's cottage um, this, that summer. And my aunt had like a big gray, like a silver Panasonic boombox with like a dual tape deck and a radio. And she had it at a dock and listening to like that song and like cleaning the boat and getting it ready to go like water skiing. And I can still smell like the Hawaiian tropic tanning lotion. <laughs> Mm-hmm. but uh that's that's how i first heard them and then of course you know around that time 91 was such a transformative year for me personally as a guitar player as a musician um and i think for a lot of people but it was such a great year for music there was so much good stuff i mean i you know obviously named like three or four bands there they all mm-hmm. had massive 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 hits at that time and it was that summer that i really decided i was like i'm i'm gonna be a guitar player i want to learn guitar mm-hmm. and so that song sort of led me down the 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 slope of that fall um my mom had like an acoustic guitar in the in the closet so like that fall i like tracked down and of course there was no internet at that time or there there was but it was like bbs boards and that kind of stuff oh i was doing those i had one oh nice okay yep but you'd like track down and you'd see if you could like find tabs or if you knew anybody in the area and like of course i'm remote northern ontario there's like nobody so like Mm -hmm. every once in a while every couple of weeks we would travel up to the sioux and um I would go to the local uh, record store or um, convenience store still like sold magazines at that time. And I would like leaf through to see if I could find this band extreme in this more than words song. Um, And I couldn't, but I did find extreme and they had a tab or a a transcription for get the funk out. And I was like, well, I love extreme. That's, that's the greatest song I've ever heard. Like, you know what I, I, you know, again, being 11 and, um, and I was like, okay, cool. I bought it. And then of course I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is not, that is a like this is crazy and i you know yeah. gave up on ever learning to play it um but i think it was probably the following year like january or february um i signed up for uh columbia house records i oh, think it was or remember, yeah columbia house yes and they like sent you the like you would get little stamps cut out the stamps and then you would like lick them uh each stamp would be like a record or a CD or a tape cover and you'd like lick them and then stick them on the order form. And then all you had to do was pay one penny per CD and shipping and handling. And you'd get 20 CDs. I think it was Mm -hmm. 18 or 20 CDs for basically 18 or 20 cents plus shipping and handling. So it worked out to like 10 bucks and I had like 20 CDs anyway on the form was like extreme. So I bought extreme uh, pornography. I bought three sides to every story. I bought, um, uh, so maybe it was later than that. Anyway, that was that was where it started and funny story columbia host then sent me like a secondary welcome pack because they made an error of some sort oh really so i didn't just get one welcome package of 20 cds i got two so i got like 40 cds for like 20 bucks and uh, and then you know paid off my membership quite quickly thereafter and uh yeah that was great but you're one of the few who paid it off yeah Well, they tried to come after me actually for a secondary membership. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, that's your bad. Sorry, guys. I never signed up for a second membership. I only had one. So 
good luck with that. Okay, you know what's crazy, Nick? <laughs> what's right that? before you and I talked today, I yeah. was doing an episode with another friend, and the whole episode is about Columbia House. Nice. That is wild. That is <laughs> well. You know what? I think again, Canada for our friends in the United States. I'm assuming you have a lot of listeners down there. Yeah. Um, if you've never been to Canada, Canada is a vast, wide open northern desert wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> there is nothing here. You know, there's a reason when bands come up from the US to tour Canada, they basically do Toronto and Vancouver and that's it. Well, yeah. It's because too hard to travel. Is, yeah, they're huge. There's nothing in between. And even when you get to a town, there's really just there's not much there. You know, like we had again I mentioned the Sioux because that's was the closest big city, quote unquote, I'm doing air codes. Um I think I think the Sioux was like 80,000, 85,000, something like that at that time. Maybe a bit more, maybe a bit less, whatever. Yeah. Not a massive bulging metropolis. And, you know, we had a Sam the Record Man, but it was like a closet. And mm. all they stocked was like, you know, Mariah Carey, Backstreet Boys, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Nirvana, like whatever, like the, just the hits. Your top like 40. The, yeah, you could not, like I'm into some weird stuff and like progressive rock and like, you know, I'm, I, my musical tastes run very, very broad mm -hmm. and uh, you couldn't get anything other than, than the top 40, which was fine for, you know, a young, um, you know, preteen looking to expand his knowledge. But Columbia House really saved me because I would like just find stuff and I'd be like, oh, that looks interesting. I'll grab that. Because again, you know, it was a penny or even once mm -hmm. you got out of their contract, they were still cheap. They were like six or seven bucks a CD. Whereas like Sam's was like 40 bucks, I think. You know, mm. and again, this is the 90s, right? 35, 40 bucks, I think, per CD. It was pretty normal for... Yeah, I think, and that was just what it was. I mean, just me buying my, my first copy of Pornography was $25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now people are buying reissues for like 150 on like vinyl. <laughs> I would love to get my hands on that. Yeah. Yes. But um, so that was my first experience actually with Extreme. Everyone knew more than words. Every, it was obviously yes. everywhere. Um, it was misleading for a lot of people because they expected them to be this cute ballad group. Yes. Which it was in fact, completely not how it was at all. Yep. But, um, <clears throat> so I liked the song. Then I, they came out with the wholehearted single. And yep. that's also, you know, pretty easy to listen to. Yeah. Like, and also very deceptive. Way. Exactly. Could not, not representative of their style. Um, and really, if you listen to the production of it and the way, cause you got 12 string guitars, you got a simple four on the floor, um, rhythm. It's very, I don't like to use the word, but it's very like 1980s country rock. Like Bon Jovi mm -hmm. could have done that song. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's just, I again, it's bon stylistically <laughs> so separate from what extreme really was all about. And, yeah. uh, yeah, you're uh, entirely correct. Although the interesting thing if you, you know, which I'm sure you're familiar with, but they were huge Queen fans. Yes. They loved Queen. Like Gary and um, Nuno would sit on Gary's porch and like apparently, it's not like I know them personally, um, <laughs> but like they would sit on their porch till like two, three in the morning talking about Queen and harmonies and how they could write mm -hmm. songs and build to, to make stuff sound like Queen's A Night at the Opera and things like that. So like it actually makes sense why those songs are on the record, but from like a marketing standpoint and a music genre pigeonhole standpoint, which is how, you know, music is marketed. It doesn't make sense, but I mean, kudos to them for putting it on there. Mm, absolutely. And the record company is obviously going to go for what's going to obviously oh, yeah, sell absolutely. the album when they release their singles. Yeah. Um, I got to see them. They were opening 
for Brian Adams on his like waking up the neighbors tour. Oh, nice. On his outdoor festival tour in uh, September, August, September, 92. Okay. And uh, so Extreme was part of the package. Sass Jordan, um, Steve Miller Band, Archangels. Nice. Yeah. And it was a, such a great thing. I think I was your age. I'm, I'm 43. So okay. yeah, we're like uh, basically the same age. Yeah. So like first time I'd seen them live, what got me was their energy oh, and yeah. watching, watching their live show was insane. And this is the first time I'm really listening to the music. That's all their other stuff. And I think they kicked it off with, it's a monster. Okay. The set and ju it just grabbed me. And I wasn't a, real big i like some rock like a like a sure. show's a bon jovi fan a brian yep. adams fan but there was something different about these guys and their harmonies the solos everything about the complete package i was into immediately and hooked yeah so i became an extreme fan that day get home but one of the first cds like cd like format yeah. i had tons of cassettes but the first one i bought was the porno graffiti album nice yeah so yeah. That was my introduction to them. And I mean, that was right before Three Sides came out too. So yeah. they'd already been supporting porno graffiti for a long time by that point. Yeah, oh, um, for sure. So if I were to go through this album in, in like a track by track kind of way, mm. which I tend to do when I okay. do these CD releases, nice. um, starting off with Decadence Dance. Wow. Like this one has a video. Yep. And it's, absolutely portrays what the lyrics are <laughs> yes um how'd you like that video you know i haven't seen it in so long i i don't yeah. even remember it if i'm completely honest um i, re I much... remember like these stacks that they were like things they were standing on like um because it was money to be, like, raining money, from the right? sky yeah uh women dancing on like pillars things and yeah <laughs> That's pretty much all I remember. <laughs> nice. Well, I mean, the whole idea, I think, was what they were talking about with that album as well, is it was kind of a concept album, even though it really doesn't have like a necessary, like a overarching story through the album, but it does. Yeah. It's those extremes of uh, pornography, graffiti, um, American excess coming out of the 80s in the Reagan era, right? Um, yeah. And and that album specific, or that song, excuse me, specifically Decadence Dance, right? All about money and lust and and fame and fortune and excess and drugs and rock and roll and you know all mm -hmm. of it um and it's such a good song regardless they must have when they made the video they must have done like a radio edit version right like three or four minutes or something or was it the whole the full six and a half minute track they probably at least cut off the front end you know i don't even think i've heard a radio edit to be honest because i don't recall ever hearing that song on radio Right. No, I just mean like for the video, right? Because I yeah. guess, but much music. Oh, okay. I think it was pretty much the full length thing. It must have been. I'm I'm right. sure it could have been. There weren't a lot of them. Like Dream Theater also had. Sorry to go off on a weird tangent, but no, Dream cool. Theater also released their um number one, or I think it was a number one for them, or at least a very high charting track. It's called "Pull Me Under" um, mm. from their first album, "Images and Words." The only track that they had up until their latest album that they released this year to ever chart mm. um and that song is eight and a half minutes long and they made a video for it and it was in high rotation on mtv and much music and everywhere as well so wow. there were certain bands that i think exceptions would be made for and if any of them would have been it i think extreme would have qualified so oh yeah no and the thing was about extreme even before i'd heard of them and this album 
by the time they were putting out their very first album, the yep. self-titled one, yep. they were a musician's band. Like yes. a lot of musicians loved them already because they knew about Nuno and yep. his prodigy status basically as a guitarist. So yep. um, they've always been a band that other bands respected. Totally. And you as a guitar player are probably pretty influenced, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Nuno's been a huge influence on me. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily hear it in my playing um, specifically unless I was playing in like a pop rock context or mm -hmm. even like kind of like a, I've done some, you know, corporate work, corporate bands, right? Where you do like hip hop, funk, top 40 type stuff. Then you can really pull that kind of stuff out. But yeah, huge, huge influence on me. Um, and of course, Boston being such a university town, like that's actually the number one export from Boston, Massachusetts is education. Yes. So you get down there and you've got BU, you've got Northeastern, you've got Berkeley College of Music, my alma mater. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, um, just MIT. across the river, MIT and came, uh, um, Harvard. And that's just yeah. five. There's actually, I think there's like 28 or 29 colleges all within the space of like 50 miles, right? So it's ridiculous. there are so many young people that are all interested in hearing new music and seeing bands and getting out and enjoying. It. And of course, Pat Badger. Um, I don't know if he went to Berkeley, but he played in a, what we would call a quote unquote Berkeley band. Mm. Um, so he would have been tied into that musician scene as well. Um, of course, Pat playing the, uh, the bass, but, um, interesting for sure. And they, as you said, yeah, just again, coming from that standpoint of like, we love queen, we love harmonies, we love interesting arrangements. Um, and of course, Nuno being the guitar player that he was, he was also the arranger. He played piano. Yeah. You know, uh, he sang, I kind of did it all. And, um, yeah, very, very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of, they were involved in the production was pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, harmony was vocal. Harmony was a big thing for me and these guys did it in spades, like all oh, over yeah. the place. So when I was younger, I thought this music was a little heavier than what I used to was used to listening to sure, but it really course. segued me into more of like a, a a metal frame of mind and and a lot of people have referred to it as funky metal because yeah. <laughs> the fact that there's so much funk incorporated into what they do and into the style of playing totally totally mm -hmm. yeah so then it would go into like basically the theme of the album there, the other thing to mention is that in the artwork for the album there's a lot of characters yes involved. and and mentioned somewhat throughout. Okay, the little guy on the cover who has yeah. smoke in his mouth. I'm yeah. trying to remember his name. I think they called him Kid Ego, which was the which was a song from their first single on the original album. Yes. Um, and I don't remember if they actually gave him a name other than that. He did have a name other than that, and that's what I'm just trying to look up right now. There's like this big, huge uh, guy with his like blonde, flat haircut kind of, uh, what does he remind me of? The guy from Spider-Man, Peter Parker's boss. Okay. <laughs> but he's blonde. Um, he's like a bouncer. I'm assuming he's the guy who's like, no women allowed. Probably, right? <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's Susie. That's the name I do remember. Yeah. Sexy Susie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these characters are all part of the story. Um Song number two, Little Jack Horny. Yeah. I wonder if maybe the cover on the the character on the cover was just Little Jack Horny. It's possible, but I know he has another name. Okay. I will I will find that out eventually. 
um that's just another fun song like um i mean honestly their their ability to write a catchy hook is pretty impressive too oh yeah absolutely and, and the album's full of them like i don't think i've ever heard an extreme song that was boring melodically no i'm trying to think of a couple there were a couple duds on tragic comedy um sorry not tragic comedy what you know the one i'm talking three about. three sides uh nope um the next album oh 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 um waiting for the punchline waiting for the punchline yeah sorry tragic comic was one of the and that's actually a killer tune um yes but there were a couple duds on it Eh, what are you gonna do right but uh even even still i think the melodies were were decent Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that i like that album but there was some stuff on there that i don't really want to spin again i would say like no respect was a song that i didn't really care for Mm. i just felt like i was being shouted at Mm -hmm. (laughs) they got a little preachy it was a it was a that's the funny thing about the 90s too especially for like rock and hard rock because it was so and punk to a a lesser degree because it had already kind of been dying and turning into like pop punk right you got like your some 41s and your green days and whatever but um there was like this kind of i think a little bit of anger as part of like the metal zeitgeist of like, what the hell is wrong with people? Why are we dying? We're important too. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think it got a, and Sharon's lyrics have always been a little bit like out there, I think, cause yeah. you know, they're a socio-political band. They always were. Um, so then, yeah, waiting with waiting for the punchline for sure. I think it, it got, it came a little bit to a head. They were doing all sorts, there was all sorts of inner turmoil too. Like cause Pat, um, not Pat, um, uh, Geary, the drummer, yeah, Paul Geary. Paul Geary was leaving the band, right? Like he left three quarters mm-hmm. of the way recording through recording that waiting for the punchline. Um, funny story, actually. I know Mike Mangini. Um, he shared an office with my um, professor advisor at Berkeley. And then his, so he was a drum teacher, obviously, like an adjunct professor. And he actually taught my brother, which is cool because my brother's a drummer. And uh, yeah, cool dude. So when I was working at Axe Music here in Calgary, uh, mm-hmm. For a short time, he came through to do a drum clinic, and it was kind of cool to to see him and be like, "Hey, man, what's up? And how's things?" And da da da. And of course, he you know Very finished cool. recording, waiting for the punchline with them, and then toured for that one or two years or whatever it was right before they broke up, right? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Before Gary became the singer for Van Halen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then and then Mike was on his ear. I know that's a whole other ball game. That yes. whole era, but yeah. I don't think it's as bad as people wanted no, to it say really it was. Wasn't. It no. was fine. Yeah. I like a few songs off that album. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Fire uh, in the Hole was an amazing song. And I mean, they used yes. it in Twister, right? It was it was a killer tune. Yes, yes, yes. There was one with a song titled with a girl's name on, on that one, too, that I really enjoyed. From Van Halen 3? Yep. Title with a girl's name, and that's escaping me just like everything else i'm trying to remember today <laughs> um but going it back happens. to this album when i'm president josephina sorry thank you yeah, it's josephina i love that go. tune yeah um, it is, it's a nice one yeah when i'm president um <clears throat> i found that one really interesting <laughs> as a child i thought it was like ambitious kind of cool um, it was yeah I, I could see, like I said, with the story with this whole thing, it was, if this is all the point of view of one person and all the things that they wanted to, I was like, this is kind of wild. Like, Yeah, totally. Um, I can see where there's a concept album, but at the same time, some of the songs do seem like they're just kind of put together for 
Yeah, I mean, no, it's no definitely a series of standalone songs, but you can see how they kind of like link together, together yeah. to really kind of, they don't really necessarily tell a story, but they evoke, I think they evoke an emotion and they evoke a, uh, yeah. a standpoint and a certain, a, a certain feeling, if you will, of like where I or the band, like if the band was a person, kind of like where I fit in in the world and what I see happening and how I feel about it and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. When I'm president, interesting too, I think, I feel like this song, it's it's hard to say, but it fits in with that very kind of late 80s um, Beastie Boys sound almost. Yeah, right? it's, it's, and then, it's got a real rap to it. The verses it does, are rapped. And then very kind of like almost... Uh, primordial chili peppers right true and then even sort of with like um like rage against the machine which of course was like complete like rap rock but like it was this very kind of early version of that and i think they did a really really good job of it because you can go back to like the 80s and early 90s and you hear some bands that did the sort of rap rock thing or like tried to incorporate rock or even like if you listen to like run dmc with aerosmith and I mean, I, you know, I know how big run DMC were and obviously I'm an, I'm an Aerosmith. I'm a casual fan, mm. another Boston band, of course, but, um, Boston, you know, you listen to it and it's like, mm, that is not great guys. You know, it just, it wasn't a really good merge, but when I'm president fits so well with like the attitude and just the style and everything, um, of that song. Yep. Um, another thing that's cool about the song is that it's not, really it's not political considering considering, considering it's the, about being president it doesn't pick yeah. like uh a side in any way it's just yeah. a kid saying what they would do if yeah. they had the opportunity and it's going to totally. happen yeah yeah i like, mean i think it it kind of makes a stand without making a stand like they don't necessarily speak out specifically against any one policy or against any one regime if you will but it is definitely like you said like a kid like if i ran the if i ran the zoo it's almost like a dr seuss thing right if yeah. i ran the zoo this is what i would do um and it and it fits it's again it's a it's a it's a fun song the solo in this one probably one of my more favorite songs or solos excuse me on the album um mm. and it's not the most technical but it's a really cool one because of just the way that it fits with uh the melody and the chord changes that are happening underneath it yeah. it really does create an interesting texture and uh contrast to the song and yet it fits perfectly some of my favorite things that nuno does in solos is sing a melody more so than technical yes you know the melodies he writes um yeah 100 it's not always just about the speed <laughs> i'm not mm -mm. a guitar player by any stretch of the imagination but just by listening to it nope this I, is I, this it's funny i just tweeted this yesterday or maybe today um let me see um so basically it was like in my opinion right and everybody's got an opinion right frank frank zappa said opinions are like fruit holes everybody's got one and they all stink um <laughs> but so in my experience and in my my opinion a great the thing that separates a great solo from a good solo is a singable melody Mm -hmm. if when you're done right you gotta you gotta imagine that only 10 percent, maybe 15 percent of your audience is going to be other musicians everybody else is going to be normal quote unquote normal like just non-musician people that are interested in having a good time listening to songs that they love dancing having a good time whatever right that's that's why they're there but if you can play a solo that after you're done playing 
the 95 or 85 percent of people that are non-musicians if they can hum that solo Mm. you've got a great solo and then of course you put on a dash of salt and pepper at the end for a little bit of spice you have a little flair awesome now you got a killer solo but yeah Mm -hmm. if you just come out and shred everybody's face off it's like it's really you know eh, okay cool you gotta pay service to the song yeah first of all regardless of how technically good you are yes you can and have the funny those thing moments is, to shine. Yes. Sorry. Have those moments to shine, especially yeah. in your live show about yep. how good you are. But yeah. always pay service to the song. You know, I, I, <laughs> this sounds really weird. I think for people that are non musicians, for non guitar players, this is going to sound very strange. But I think some of the best guitar players, you can tell how good a guitar player is by how little they play. Mm and maybe not even how good a guitar player is, you can tell how good a musician they are by how little they play. Because, you know, there's that quote by Mozart, right? Music is what happens when there are no notes being played. And I know I butchered the quote, but right? Music is the silence between the notes. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got a guitar player that comes out and can play six notes, eight notes, 10 notes in a sort of melodic fashion, a little bit of salt and pepper, cool, awesome, great. And it moves people. That's far more impressive than somebody that just comes out and goes five million notes yeah and yeah it it is really a thing like um a great example of that obviously nuno because this is the love fest for pornography but like um andy timmons is another killer 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 player that probably a lot of people haven't heard of um Mm. he used to um tour i don't know if he was the music director but he was definitely involved with olivia newton john for a lot of years um Mm. which is funny i don't really particularly like her music but you listen to andy timmons play Holy man, is that guy a good guitar player? Um, same with Steve Lukather from Toto, right? Oh. You listen to his solos, um, and dude can shred with the best of them. But if you put him in a song, he's going to serve the song. He's going to serve the musician. He's there to make the singer, the star, look cool. good. Because you got to remember, of course, he was a session guy. He's played on more record. He actually uh, wrote and did all of the guitar arrangements for "Beat It" by Michael Jackson. Oh, wonderful. Right? Okay. Eddie Van Halen, of course, gets all the credit for coming in and doing the crazy tapping solo or whatever else. But like to yeah. me, the best part of that song is the amazing rhythm riff and then the the interesting stuff that happens in the guitar that is not the solo. But that's a whole other debate. I remember it well. I was just about three. My dad said, someone do you want to be? It didn't ring no bells, but I said, I'm a bit too young. What do you want from me?
Red Pick. Guess what, friends? I have a new voicemail number just for you. Give us a call at Dope Nostalgia. Our number is 780-851-8785. Leave us a message. Pick up the phone just like you used to in the old days. Remember before text messaging? Yeah, we used to actually call each other. If you just want to be heard and be on the podcast, give us a call. Once again, our Dope Nostalgia hotline, 780-851-8785. Pick up the phone. This number is Canadian, so long-distance charges may apply. Ever watch a movie so bad that it made you laugh? We have, and that's what we enjoy at End of the Real. We're just two brothers doing a podcast about bad movies. Sometimes the movie will leave you in tears from laughter, other times pain. From classics like The Room, Troll 2, and B-Movie, bad movies are here to stay. Check us out at endoftherreal.com. We'll be right back. talk about the michael jackson thing it also made me think about the fact that a lot of people don't know about nuno betancourt's involvement on janet jackson's song black cat yes he plays a rhythm part on the single version yeah i thought he played the lead but he doesn't but the, yeah. but he, he does the rhythm which makes sense because of his funk you know he's going to add something special to the rhythm yeah. um and it's been rumored but not proven that on one of the songs here, let me just pull that information up. Sure. Um, on the song Money, In God yep. We Trust, yep. the beginning, there's a female voice that says, uh, Did you say your prayers? Don't forget to put your tooth under the pillow. Oh, it's right. It's rumored okay. that that was Janet. It might have been. In an exchange for what he did for her track. Right. Yeah, very both, possibly. Both the album Pornography and the single of Black Cat was produced by the same guy, German producer Michael Wagner. Yes. It's it's possible. I mean, that's how these things happen. Right? Yeah. People are kind of around the studio, they're they're doing work, whatever else, and it's like, Oh, hey, by the way, would you do such and such for me? You know, but of course, like he also has contributed uh guitars for like Tony Braxton, for um uh, who else? Um, Obviously Rihanna. Because Rihanna, of course, is the big one because he's the touring player for her. But he's also like he's appeared on some Nickelback stuff. Um, mm. Steel cool Panther. Um, which is that, sorry? The cool tune. Uh, it's called something like The River. Feed the Machine for The River. Yeah. There, there was the two of them, yeah. Um, and then, of course, he's got all his solo stuff or whatever else. Um, and he's done a whole bunch of other like various recordings and session works and whatever. Uh, Susie DeMarchi. um Yep. I don't know if she really went a whole long way, but you know, that's what, that's what you do when you're that talented and that versatile, people will come to you and just be like, Hey man, can you do a such and such? Can you do this? Yes, yes, yes. You know, mm -hmm. absolutely you can. 
especially if you're trying to, you know, make a make a completely new living for yourself after your band broke up. Yes. It right? got him a nice house in the Hollywood Hills. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but um yeah, no, he's definitely had more than his fair share of session work too. Um he's a sought after player, absolutely. Yeah. Um going into Get the Funk Out, which was a single off yes. this album. I believe it was a Fell single. Fell flat though in the US. Yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, it wasn't until many, many, many years later that people really clued into it and went, "Oh my God, this is this is amazing." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even just the, I think it's um, Brian May who was quoted as saying, like, when he heard that song and that solo, and he's like, "Just when you think it's going to wrap up, he turns it into something completely new around the corner. There's yeah. more solo. There's so here's yeah. another like twelve bars of something incredible. Absolutely. And then it turns into something else. Yes. So he couldn't believe it himself when he heard that song. Yeah, he, I, he said something, it was like in his top 10 favorite solos of all time. You know, he called Nuno a colossal player, and he absolutely is, 100%. One of the best solos, one of the best guitar solos probably of all time. Um, you know, it was one of those ones that was like for a long time, probably like, especially growing up and when I first started playing, like it was kind of like my Mount Everest. I was like, mm. one day I'm going to play this song. <laughs> I'm going to play this solo. I'm going to be able to do it. Um, and you climb and you climb and you keep working and keep working and keep working. And then eventually you do it and you're like, holy shit, I'm here. And then yeah. you're like, I don't feel any better about myself now that I can do it. Oh man. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's a, it's a killer, killer solo. And of course the, just the whole, there's that weird sort of, it's not really a double entendre, but that play on words, right? Get the funk out yes. for rebellious youth, for teenagers that are pissed off at their parents, pissed off at their teachers, pissed off at the world in general. It's like the perfect anthem, mm -hmm. right? And of course they use the actual expletive in concert, um, which <laughs> I mean, you know, you've seen them. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's just, it's fun. It's it's so much fun. And the horn section, which again, you oh. know, arranged. Um, yes it really brought back that like almost like a, like a callback to like Motown or like big band, but then you've got these like heavy metal guitar. Like it just, yeah, it, such a, such a groundbreaking tune. Interestingly enough, I was looking up um, stats on the album when because mm -hmm. I knew we were going to be, be talking about this, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. Um, the interesting, what I thought was really interesting is that in Canada, so I think we come by it honestly, and it's probably because of uh, Columbia House, um, but <laughs> Extreme Pornography 2, uh, or Extreme 2 Pornography went triple platinum in Canada, and mm. it only went double platinum in the States. And Why? 
I don't know. And the chart position, so it hit number one in Canada in terms of like an album chart. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just singles. It didn't even uh, break uh, the top 10 on the US Billboard Hot 200. It hit number 10. Is it because we had more of an affinity towards rock music than they did at the, in the States at the time? Maybe. That could be part of it. Um, and for, as I said, it could well be Columbia they, House. I don't know. For, for how well they were doing here, they should have toured here more often. But that's just another. Yeah. But again. That's just me griping. Because where, <laughs> where did you see them? You saw them opening and was it in Edmonton? It was in a place called Big Valley, Alberta, which is kind of okay. like. Where it's actually the original spot before the Big Valley Jamboree found its place. Right, right, right. That's where they had that concert. Okay. Brian Adams concert. So Right, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think I probably played there before mm -hmm. they moved. I was doing the some work with a sort of a low-level um, Canadian artist. Her name was Crystal Gage. I think she had a, like a number 18 hit on the CMT charts. Oh, yeah? Um, and uh, I was her music director for a while and had a lot of fun. And I, I'm pretty sure we played that that venue before again the the original grounds before it got moved to the new location and it got uh, rebranded and that whole thing but yeah that was that was a good time yeah no um so like i said for the amount of success they have in canada that's incredible i know logistically it is hard to tour this country yes i always, I always put that into consideration but um yeah, they only played here then. I know they've never played in Edmonton since because mm. I would know in a heartbeat and I absolutely would be right there. Um, when I traveled to see them, I went to Chicago. Oh, nice. They were playing the 30th anniversary of Porno Graffiti, the album in its entirety at the nice. House of Blues. Oh, I wish I could have gone. That I was amazing. right up front. Nice. Right up front. It was, I have so much video on YouTube I can always share. But, uh, nice. Yeah, was, send me anything you've got. I want it all. Okay, <laughs> please. It was no regrets. Like that was I'm oh, so sure. glad I made that trip. Nice. Yeah. And actually this DVD came out for those who are really into the band. It's uh you can see that Metal Meltdown Live is actually the whole show in its entirety. Nice. And that's the one that was recorded in Chicago or did they record that one at the Globe this, in Boston? This one was not recorded in Chicago. It says it's somewhere where which city it was in, but it is the it is that show. Nice. Oh, it, it's at the Hard Rock Ca Casino, Las Vegas. Oh, okay, cool. Live twenty five. I should. I, nice. I got to correct myself on that. It was the twenty fifth anniversary. Twenty fifth. Okay. Now yeah. we've hit the thirtieth anniversary. Yeah. This this year or last year, right? Oh no, two years ago, night twenty twenty one. Honestly, the past two years hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right. I'm still confused in what's what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was good. Last years were such a write-off. But yeah, that's Indeed. if you get a chance to see this band live, do yourself a favor and go. Yep. You have to make that happen. Yeah. Um, Who's playing drums for them now? Do you know? Yeah, Paul. How do I pronounce his name? Figurado? Okay. It's, I think it's in. I, I want to say it right. Probably Figurado. Kevin. Kevin Figurado. Okay. Some, something like that. Is he the dude with the fro? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay, he cool. is. Now he's nice. he's been already playing with Nuno in like Morning Widows and yeah. other bands beforehand, and so yeah. he just came. Yeah, along. he and Nuno have a, a probably a long history together. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So he's been tip, the drummer for a long time. Tip for any musicians that listen to your uh, podcast: um, be a good hang, be friendly, always say yes to other musicians because you never know when it's going to pay off. Yep. <laughs> right. Which Don't sounds incredibly opportunistic, with. but what's that? 
Don't be difficult to work no, with. No, don't be difficult to work with. Absolutely. And like we were talking about guitar players too, like the better guitar players who can sit back. Don't be that guy that goes and silently turns his amp up. Yeah. When when the sound guy's not looking, because that's an asshole thing to do. Yep. hundred percent. It's funny actually. A I, it's a point of I've pride for me. It, shit. it sounds it sounds probably weird to non-musicians, but like um I was playing, it doesn't matter where I was playing, I can't remember, but I, I was setting up tuning and getting ready to go doing sound check, and the house sound manager came up to me. And he was like, I'm about what I'm about to tell you, I have never said to a single guitar player in my 30 plus years of being a sound guy, please turn up your amp. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're good. So I was like, holy, <laughs> because I'm, you know, especially now, like as I've gotten older, like I used to have like the double marshals and the huge racks and the also, you know, whatever. And um, now I'm old and I don't want to carry around much stuff anymore. <laughs> so you know i got like a little amp like i you know you'd be surprised if i if i play a show now with anything more than like 50 watts i'm usually around 20 or 30 because the technology is so good they can mic you up or you can do a di all i need is a little bit of sound on stage to to self-monitor and let the pa do the rest as long as you're able to hear yourself let the sound man do his job yeah absolutely because there's nothing worse than going to see a band and all you hear is one of the instruments and you don't hear the others pisses me off yep 100 percent um, but before we leave off, get the funk out. I did want to mention Pat Badger, not bad for a pasty face white boy. Yes. What a great baseline. <laughs> Credit to the bassist. Absolutely. In this track. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it makes the track. Right. And that's, and that's funk in general. And they really, I think they knocked it out of the park in terms of just that baseline and the feel and the pocket that he's got. Yeah. It's, it's, it's killer. I just remembered the name of the kid on the oh, cover. Nice. Francis. What is it? It's Francis. Francis. And yes. I think that's, might be gary's middle name it could be and they the, at the very beginning of decadence dance right you've got the rain coming down and the pianos playing those sort of glissando arpeggios mm-hmm. uh is it mm. and there's the woman's voice that says francis be careful <gasps> you remember maybe it's not decadence <laughs> dance which one is it but, the, but is it you do hear god it we trust maybe Maybe. No, Money's the one where we hear what we think might be Janet Jackson. Oh, right. That's the Janet Jack one. Janet Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's Francis. Yeah. I wouldn't. I'm glad that. That's actually funny because that's John Bon Jovi's middle name, too. Yeah. I want, I think it is Decadence Dance. Yeah. Francis. Francis, be careful. Yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. here it is right here. I'm, I've got it on iTunes in the background. Um, for about 45 seconds at the very beginning of Decadence Dance. Okay. Francis, Francis, be careful. Yeah, very there cool. There we go. So it's probably yeah. like some kind of like um, maybe Gary's idea of what he was like when he was a kid in some way. Maybe not with the cigarette hanging out of his mouth or, or what not. Probably but. not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's just me guessing. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but then track five, of course, is the big monster ballad, More Than Words, which is still yep. very popular to this day. And people yes. know it and it still gets airplay. Yep. Um, it's a great song. Probably everything they were able to do after that was made from the money that they made off that. I would expect so. I mean, that's really, you know, I mean, that's why you hear of bands being one hit wonders, right? It's like you literally need one hit and it can make your entire career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love Ben Folds, but have you heard anything he's done since Brick? Nope. No. He's released like 15 albums. Yep. And they're all fantastic. And he's done work for Disney and he's done, you know, soundtracks and whatever else. But like, 
that was one major mega hit that he had and that has made his in, his entire career you know mm-hmm. and the same kind of thing with this although they have had other hits other than other than more than words but it's mm-hmm. interesting too i think or the the weird thing going back to what we were talking about where it stylistically doesn't fit with the rest of the album and it certainly stylistically doesn't fit with the band in terms of their general outlook or their general sound um and i think the the funny thing is is they always get like sort of labeled as this hair metal band yeah but a they weren't and B, if you listen to the production that happens for more than words, it's one acoustic guitar and harmony vocals. Yep. That's it. Even the rhythm is played out on the body of the guitar. Yeah. Any any other power ballad, and there's the word, power ballad of that time, you would have had an acoustic guitar sort of open it, but then you would have had the drums and the guitars come in and fill everything out. And it's like ah, big bombastic stuff going on. Away you go, right? Think uh, every rose has its thorn, or um, not. You give love uh, better roses by Bon Jovi, like all those kind of things. Those are power power ballads. More than words is just a simple, beautiful love song. Yep. Sorry. And the subject matter, like that, is basically explaining like what not. It's difficult to say the words, Mm -hmm. so it's more the words don't mean anything as as much as it means to show you that you yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, which is funny because, of course, as an eleven nice. or twelve year old, I didn't, I really didn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, as a full grown man, I'm like, oh, that song makes so much more sense now. <laughs> totally. I didn't really uh, pay attention to lyrics that much as a kid, which, yeah. to be honest. But I've always been more of a melody and music person than lyrics. Yeah, me too. My wife thinks I'm nuts, but I don't listen to lyrics usually. I I don't I don't follow them. I I would rather hear. Um, the music and that's usually what I'm listening for anyway it's one of the reasons why and again I'm weird but like I actually like listening to um, music that's not from North America so mm-hmm. like stuff from China Korea I mean obviously Japan I lived there for Sweden. a long time although I speak Japanese yeah Sweden absolutely right um, because I don't understand the lyrics yeah and so you you don't get lost in what they're saying you just hear the mood and textures that are being created in the music and it's like a lot like listening to classical or like movie soundtracks where you're just like, I'm going to sit and listen and I can let a, a, a picture play out in my head of what I'm thinking is happening with the music. And it's such a more, for me anyway, um, much more immersive experience. Mm. Yeah, no, I, and even as a writer, I was always more interested in writing the melody and the chord mm. progressions than anything. I always wrote lyrics as an afterthought because I had to. Right. <laughs> um yeah, the punters need to sing along with something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, even there's still respect to this day for for this band from people like Jack Black and Jimmy Fallon, who did a little skit on the Tonight Show where they yeah. gave in words, dressed yeah. up as Nuno and Gary from the video, which I thought was adorable. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a great video, and they did a really nice job with it. It's not like you know perfect, but that's mm-hmm. not what those guys are about. They're about kind of giving that props to the artist and having fun it with w- it yeah it wasn't a joke it was Heart. a tribute yeah tribute yeah, absolutely <laughs> it was a tribute 100%. um and then also um for weird al yankovic fans there was a song called you don't love me anymore which is one of the very few original weird yes. Al songs probably my favorite weird al song actually i think so too it's, it's a so great, great song and the video is a parody of the more than words video and even yes. robert goulet is in it yes <laughs> which is fantastic yeah it's a good video it's funny that you mentioned it. i'm like oh yeah i forgot all about that <laughs> yes as much as i love that song you pulled out my chest hairs with an old pair of pliers There's yeah so much so much abuse in that song i know 
but it's funny. It's, it's, it's weird. Al, it's always going to be good. So yeah, we, we kind of touched on going into song number six money in God, we trust. Yes. Because of the whole possible Janet intro, but that's not a song that I always remember that much. Like I know, I know the song, but I don't love the song. It's not one of my favorites. So this would be kind of like your low point of the album. Do you think? Yeah. This is the one that I could have replaced easily with something else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What about you? Um, this is an, another one of those ones where as a guitar player with the rhythm, especially, um, when we're like in the intro, there's like this series of like, um, uh, kind of like squealed harmonics harmony that he's playing with himself, but just playing two notes at the same time. And then he's got this cool rhythm thing, right? And it's yeah, just so interesting to listen to. Um, it's one of those songs I was just like, oh, it's really cool. Um, and I think this song actually might be responsible for my distrust of authority and government. <laughs> Oh, that's not quite that's not quite you thinking as extreme as it sounds but like it really does this is the whole thing right about money being the driving force between all or behind all political decisions religious decisions um policy mm-hmm. familial like all that kind of stuff it all comes down to money right? how our world runs on it how yeah. our world runs yeah and money is really the god right there is they don't really come right out and say that but it's it, it it's there um and the backing uh, sort of um, gang vocals that happened during the choruses. Yeah. Um, to me, I don't know. I just, I really, I always loved this song. Um, and again, kind of to your point, I think a lot of people maybe missed it. I don't, that's not the right word, but just, I don't know. It always resonated it went with over me. The, went over their heads a bit or something like just. I, yeah, I don't even know if it was that just, per se, but it's, it doesn't have quite as much drive as like a get the funk out. It's not that love ballad or, you know, whatever. Um, is that the one that chants sex at the end um (laughs) is that that song because i don't think so but it doesn't No, i think the that one is either it's a monster or pornography it might be it's pornography i think yeah yeah okay my bad yep yeah Um, sex is pornography yeah okay (laughs) which is funny because okay so we're talking about money and god we trust oh sorry go ahead (laughs) I should listen to it before we talk today. <laughs> and then we go into Monster, and it was it, to me it was always funny because these these three are the ones that sort of of the whole album. I think they kind of go together the most. Mm-hmm. So you've got money, and we've got pornography, which is obviously talking about pornography and like sex and lust and whatever. Yes, money being money. What's the monster? I want to ask you that same question. What is the monster we all have within us? You know, it turns I, I think us into it's different. Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. And I think that's why they left it the way they did. They never named it. I think you yeah. could call it greed. I think you could call it lust. I think you could call it um, narcissism, the, selfishness, all those me things. first. Right? Yes. But I think it's different for everybody. But it does. It kind of lives within everybody. There is that monster, maybe even jealousy. Like, I don't know. You're right. Like, yeah. what is it? <laughs> Just something selfish, something, something, everyone's dark side. Yeah. Um, but It's a Monster is one of my favorite songs on the album, mm. melodically. And I love like, ah, like the step down in the chorus like that, the harmonies. Yeah. It's great. 
Fantastic. Totally. Oh, when they played this live in Chicago, one of my favorite parts of it is like when Nuno goes into the solo. Yeah. He's playing something so cool, so complicated, whatever. And he sits down with Pat on the drum riser and they're just having a conversation while Nuno's playing it. Ah. He's not even looking what he's doing. Not yeah. even looking. And they're just like having a laugh and a chat. That's oh, I have the video of that. I'll share it with you. Nice. But that's what I just adored. I was like, this is kind of funny. How he's just yeah. like, Meh. This also has one of my favorite solos in it, actually, is the It's a Monster. So, like, if I had to rank them, it would probably be Get the Funk Out, It's a Monster, um, and then probably uh, Decadence Dance, Little Jack Horny, something like that. But yeah. um, the descending sort of, he's got, like, this, I'm going to get guitar nerdy for a second, but he's kind of got this descending arpeggio pattern that he plays mm -hmm. in a tapping formation down the neck. And it's just, it's really cool. I always looked at this, too, because I feel like Eddie Van Halen got a ton of, credit for any as he should have a ton of mm -hmm. credit for sort of really popularizing tapping and really popularizing the sort of shred guitar thing although he was really more of a blues guy he was a blues player that happened to play quickly and happened to do some really cool tapping stuff but i feel yeah. like nuno never got his due for taking what van halen did to the, like the next level right the way he taps melodically through shapes on the neck you hadn't really seen before outside of like jazz fusion stuff Mm -hmm. in a popular context nobody else had done it and in it really is shown off perfectly well in that solo it's if for anybody that wants to go and listen just to that it's at like the three minute mark in the Isn't song that the part that's like da, na, na, na. Oh, i can't even sing it because it's too uh yeah he kind of gets into it but then he just absolutely yeah yeah um going into porno graffiti um the title track yeah uh you know i just i would it's an okay song it's not one of my favorites, but I, yeah. I do. I do like. I won't skip it. You know, when I'm no. listening, I won't skip any song on here. To be quite honest, yeah, it's, it's all very. It listenable. was. It was. <laughs> it, to to sound cringy, it was like the perfect song for a horny teenage boy. <laughs> this whole it album had, is that. It had a very driving rhythm to it that mm -hmm. made me think of sex which is i think yep. exactly what they were going for especially getting towards the end when to your point they start screaming sex sex, sex. <laughs> right yeah but uh yeah I, it's exactly what that is it's the anthem yeah. for only teenage boy <laughs> absolutely um, which let's be face it a lot of you know there's a reason that you know the 80s other than hair metal there's that that term that i hate but they mm -hmm. call it cock rock right yep. But I think that song really personifies it. But they're doing it in like a tongue-in-cheek way almost. Oh, absolutely. Like in, in an intelligent way. And that's one thing I've liked about this band too is the fact that they kind of take that whole hair metal thing but add some more intelligence to it. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the reviewers, right, called it the thinking man's hair metal. But that was yeah. my point. I don't think that they were a hair metal band. No, they never fit that mold ever. No. Except for Wholehearted, which we're not talking about just yet. But I feel like that song... <laughs> could have been hair metal if any of their songs would have been it was mm -hmm. the closest i think that they ever got because to me it reminded me like i said of like bon jovi maybe of um uh damn yankees or cinderella okay them right yeah it, wholehearted could have been on heartbreak station right <laughs> anyway. well, well this band does have it does really show its influences so if van halen and queen had a baby you know, yeah, right. Like it, it it definitely shows its influences without directly copying them. Correct. Taking what they heard and making it their own sound because you mm. still know it's extreme when you hear it. For sure. Um, when I first kissed you is a total. Yep. Different. Total downshift. 
from the rest yes. of the album. So, go Buster, ahead. Go ahead. No, you go because I didn't okay. even have my thought completed. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so for me, this is the low point of the album. If I could uh, remove any song off the album, this would be it. Yeah. I like it. I enjoy it. I think it is in and of itself. It's actually a very beautiful song. Yeah. But it doesn't fit the album to me. And yeah, the production it's... is not to the same level as everything else. The The keyboard sounds super cheesy. Like you can like, wow, that's like a 1986 Korg multi-key. Like it just when sounds When the fake strings bad. come in? Yeah, it's fake strings. Like, Which is why weird that they, they didn't... use fake strings. When they're using real horn sections on everything else. I'm like, why yeah. didn't you get like, maybe they ran out of budget. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a filler track. Yeah. I hate to say. But it's yeah. also so strangely different than the rest of the album that you mm. would wonder. Well, that's a weird thing to put in as filler. Maybe it's not filler to them. I don't think it is. And I mean, again, it it fits that queen thing that they, they go after. Like when I first kissed you and like song for love, I mm -hmm. feel like kind of are two sides of the same coin. Right. Where you've got the the really stripped down kind of jazz sound mm -hmm. of when I first kissed you because the whole thing opens right with like just like an open major seven chord which mm -hmm. is like unheard of at that point in like rock and pop like like metal kind of world especially for like a funk metal type thing mm -hmm. um, and then to have well piano I guess at all but to have that type of a sound and the whole thing is a series of seven chords so it, it really just is very very different and you know the stripped down production whatever else like I said it's not a horrible song, but for me on the album, I'm just like, this album could have been way stronger as like a nine track album versus a 13 track album. Yeah. You know, they could have done like an EP later without some of this on it. When I first kissed you, it would have made a great B side that way. I think. Yeah. Just to be like, oh, look what else we do. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, when I said I don't skip anything, I might skip that one actually. Yeah. But it's all right. You know that song's out? I'm a karaoke aficionado. I host okay. karaoke here in nice. Edmonton. So it's like, that song's actually on karaoke, and that surprises me because I'm like, where the hell is Decadence Dance on karaoke? Give me that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, when I first kissed you, it's probably easier to sing. Ugh. Maybe? I don't know. It's super cheesy, comic. It sounds, it sounds like a karaoke track. That's part of why I don't like it. There it you go. It sounds like a karaoke track, which, like, I lived in Japan. I know how bad they can sound. <laughs> I also know how good they can sound, but this one sounds like a bad karaoke track. You know what the problem is? Karaoke tracks have to be reproduced by musicians. You know how hard it is to reproduce extreme songs? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. You need some good damn musicians to do that. Yeah. Um, well, unless you're doing MIDI backing tracks, ugh. which is a lot of, like, if you actually go for karaoke... Sorry, if you actually go for karaoke in Japan, I almost was like, oh, it's actually kara okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, I still stumble with kara that sometimes. Okay. Japanese is a strong language; it gets in your head and like tries to like kara okay, not kari. Yeah, yeah. Yes. kara right, empty and okay orchestra, empty orchestra. Anyway, it's actually a portmanteau, and it's like a. They think it's English; it's not. <laughs> no, no, you guys invented it. Nope. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then track ahead. ten. Is awesome. Back to the horny teenager stuff. <laughs> Susie wants her all day. What? Yes. Right? Yes. Um, yeah. It's pretty self-explanatory. It's about yeah. her sucker. Yep. Oh, I love the guitar intro to that song. Yes. I love the riffs going into that in that intro. Where it's so yeah. good. and so good live. The drum too, right? Mm -hmm. 
it's funny actually if you think about it and i just hummed it there it almost it reminded me of miami sound machine and gloria stefan it's got that same it's it's the same stepwise pattern that they use uh for those two things it's completely different completely different genre but um just when i sang it i was like oh that's interesting totally that'd be i'm gonna i'm gonna see if i can do something that might be make a fun youtube video a mashup of like you should that is a very uh the gloria stefan and the extreme smash them together yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. And Susie's the story of a girl who basically sounds like she likes to get around. I think so. Yeah. Or, I don't, think, and see I again, don't think it's, I don't think it's derogatory though. I don't think no. it's shaming. It's not slut shaming no. in any way. No. So I think it still stands up and can still be played without anybody saying that it's negative. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I don't know, 2022, right? It's a weird time. I think people get offended by everything now. I know. I'll um, still listen to it. <laughs> well, I know, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I agree. I don't think it's a, it, I don't think it's a shameful thing at all. I think mm-hmm. it's celebratory. Um, also sort of tongue in cheek. Um, yeah. And it's funny now that I'm even thinking about it. I'm just, I've got it really, really low in the background of my iTunes and I'm just like, oh yeah, this solo, if you want to talk ridiculous guitar crossovers the solo that happens in this song not only okay so you've got nuno's signature ridiculous funk riffs cool awesome tasteful tap tapping where he plays melodically and whatnot he gets into ingve territory here oh and the way he the way he plays and the uh the tone that he achieves is very neoclassical uh-huh for the for the solo sort of halfway th- mm, right at the beginning the like sort of 205 206 207 it's got this real sort of like harmonic minor neoclassical vibe to it which is really cool to like my guitar player here i'm like oh that's very tasty i'm gonna have to go back Mm. and learn this solo actually um but yeah very 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 cool track um and of course yeah i love having your guitar player influence on the conversation where i have more of like a like vocal and sure melodic songwriting background i yeah. think it's i think it's cool to have both elements when you have this discussion definitely so but yeah um and then it ends at a weird nowhere um and you get like like just this clean guitar mm-hmm. on that like i don't know is it a minor seven that's chord? right i don't know and then you get a little bit of keyboard and it goes bah, 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 before we go into he-man woman hater yeah goes right into the flight of the wounded bumblebee yeah now here's the question because i've seen you know play this live yeah but if you look on like the wikipedia page it says that dweezil zappa played this solo it says dweezil zappa on intro and outro, hater or yeah on intro outro lead guitar in he-man woman hater but it doesn't say wounded bumblebee so i think Nuno played flight of the wounded bumblebee yes first and then 100%. for whatever reason had the so Dweezil's on he, he Man Woman Hater. I thought I didn't know he was yeah. doing the actual like solo though. And that's I don't know. That's just what riffs. Wikipedia says. Which is it says he's doing the intro and outro solo. I don't know if I believe it. To which me, is the it epitome like of Nuno. fact on the internet. I know that's what I'm saying. I think it's wrong. Yeah, um, maybe. Interesting I know that thing they about... have a working relationship and friendship on music. Yeah. So it's they've been friends for many many years. It's very yeah. possible that. So it stands to reason, and I mean Dweezil's a killer player. So yeah, it could be. Um, interesting though enough, right? So flight of the wounded bumblebee, 
again, going back to like when I learned to play guitar, um, there really was no internet. And I used to, um, you couldn't, you can't slow a CD down. Right. And yeah. I had read and a, a friend of mine showed me how he would slow down his records by like waiting the needle. It destroys the needle and destroys the record, but you can mm -hmm. wait a needle um, and slow a record down or put weight on the record itself so that it doesn't spin as fast. But it's not super reliable because it like it will sort of speed up and slow down. It gets warbly, whatever. Plus, you got to detune your guitar anyway. Oh. But I figured out that you could stretch out a tape and get the same effect. Now, you still have to detune your guitar. To oh. sort of match but that's how i learned to play in my very very early years i, I killed so many tapes by doing this um by stretching them out so everything would kind of play slowly oh. and i had no idea that flight of the wounded bumblebee was not played note for note so he's actually using a delay pedal so he'll play one note and then the pedal actually causes the second and the third note to play and it's on a it's on a timer so he's actually playing dot 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 dot, but you're hearing ticka 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 all the way through the song. Okay. I learned to play it ticka 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 ticka. Holy! Nearly killed myself doing it. It took me probably ten years because, of course, then you find out that it's that's not what it is. But me being the kind of person that I am, I'm like, well, I'm gonna learn to do it anyway, and and I finally did it. I used it. I want to say it was like an audition piece or something for Berkeley. I can't remember what I was doing like because I was already at the school at the time maybe it was like an audition for a a, a band or something that I was doing mm -hmm. and uh anyway so yeah but are you just talking about the that ticking thing or are you talking about the actual like the notation the actual the notes that he's playing so he's playing at one third of the speed oh. that you actually hear the guitar playing it's a cheat and I was so mad when I first heard it because it, it sounds <laughs> like the way he's playing, it sounds like he's playing every single note picked, but he's actually not. It's like every third note is what he's playing. I also have a video of that for you. But that's a very cool skill nonetheless because mm -hmm. you have to learn how to play with the delay, mm -hmm. right? Because when you're playing just straight guitar, you can play, play a note and the note comes back at you. It's like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, right? But if you're playing with a delay and you play one, da, 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 da how do you it almost seems more complicated you have to play yeah you have to play in time with yourself it's more complicated in terms of timing but mm -hmm. it's much better and easier to play that speed of a thing using that trick well i hope he can play it the way you learn to do it i bet you i've seen can, i've but... seen videos and i've i've seen he he plays it with his delay pedal which okay. doesn't take anything away from it because like i said yeah. it's much to me it's actually harder to play with a delay pedal in time like that because if you screw up your timing mm -hmm. the whole thing just falls apart that's true you can't come back from that no well not I mean, easily can, but you have to wait for the pedal to stop echoing. and by that point you've <laughs> lost the tune right so yeah yeah and it's funny too going into he-man woman hater when we we're talking about dweezil zappa and all that this is probably my favorite song on the album yeah i love this song everything about it and it's funny because it's like is he really talking about hating women no no you're talking about a character again right the yeah. type the guy who's like the alpha who wants to be like mr tough guy yeah they and were it's about, they were it's basically making fun of this type of person totally they were talking about toxic masculinity before it was cool exactly what it is <laughs> right exactly such hipsters in boston such hipsters even with long hair it. in the 80s i love it there's a song by the band Bush called Testosterone, and yeah. it's the same idea. It's making fun of the guy who thinks he's like the ultimate bro. Right. 
So no, it's not about hating women. It's no. actually quite the opposite. No. Yeah, so, making fun of those guys. Totally. And rightfully so, because what a bunch of meatheads. <laughs> um, I'm going to go into 13. I keep saying the favorite song, but this might be it too. Song for Love is such an amazing ballad. It is. Although this might be on my list of the five songs that I think could maybe not be on the album and I would be okay with. Because it doesn't fit into the whole album? Yeah. To me, it doesn't fit the album, the album's mm. strength. Okay. But if you listen to this song, it almost seems to me like the, like Song for Love almost would fit better on three sides. Yeah. To me. Um, but it is a beautiful song. The production is great, of course, always. The pre-chorus um, the is probably is my favorite nice. part. The strings. Even more so than right? the chorus. No, the, like the vocal melody. Yeah. No, no, but I just mean like the build-up and everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. This is probably the most queen song of any of the songs on this album, I think. I can right? see that. With those multi-pan vocals, there's probably like 10 or 15 of them. Yeah. It's like a Def Leppard chorus or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's got a lot of layers to it. Um, yeah. The this is probably the most. Oh, sorry. No, the way they sing the way they sing the way out of it at the end too. I can hear some yeah. Queen in that. Totally. And this solo is very much the chorus melody. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very, very tasteful solo that he plays through this. Mm -hmm. The interesting um, thing is that I think it's probably the most hair metal solo of all of the solos that he plays. Like, it's probably the most non-characteristic Nuno solo on the album. This song is probably the most hair metal song on the album. Yes, there you go. I'll, I would make that statement for sure. Um, I could see other bands doing this song. That's basically yeah. it. Even though it is theirs and there is that Queen influence, I can see other bands doing it. Mm -hmm. like, like heaven or something by warrant you know like yeah like yeah like almost like this could have been mm, maybe not but i'm almost like i'm thinking of like nelson Ooh. The name of the band? yeah the twins with after, the blonde hair right? after the rain and love and affection yeah. nelson yes yeah or like winger almost maybe like <laughs> maybe Kip i winger don't know much about winger. Song. what's that i don't know much about winger at all i saw them They're... in my metal edge magazines though yeah, they were an interesting band. Um, you know, they had, again, it was like, that was, I don't even remember the name of their hit, but they were like a one-hit wonder metal band, hair metal totally. band. And Kip Winger's gone on. He He's actually done a bunch of writing, arranging, and playing for like, he lives in Nashville now, and he does like mm. country stuff, Makes which sense. is where a lot of the 80s hair metal guys ended up doing. That's why a lot of the new country sounds like that. Yeah. You know? Well, until they discovered, you know, rap country, but that's a whole other thing. Ugh. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I get so upset about this. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um speaking of bros, right? We got one song left on the album, right? Yeah. Wholehearted. Yeah. Wholehearted. And in that video, it's like a real tribute to Boston. They're playing the song in the streets with the community. You yep. got Cam Neely from the Boston Bruins in the video. Yeah. I think there's some other cameos, some local Boston local legends celebs, that kind of thing, right? Here's all our famous friends from Boston. Yeah, <laughs> but they were like Boston has so I most of the musicians I like are from Boston to be quite honest. It's fair, kind of okay. Kind of crazy. Well, except New Jersey, we've got some good ones from there too. But East yes. Coast, there's something about East Coast that I like the music a lot. 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's like I feel like just population density. You're going to have more people, more variety. You know, the chances of having some real genius, I think, go up the bigger your sample size. So, True. you know, if you look at the majority of the United States lives along that East Coast um, region, you know, getting east, as far inland, of course, as like New York, but like that, mm-hmm. New Jersey, New York, Boston, um, even Chicago, if you want to get a little bit further over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's just, there are a ton of really cool people um, that live there and came out of there, of course. And, you know, you got Tom Scholes from Bo- of Boston fame, mm-hmm. right? Um, and of course, Extreme and Aerosmith. And, um, and there's actually like, You've got Juilliard and Berkeley and all yep. those places too, right? So, yep. I mean, there's just a wealth of history there that yeah. can be put into music for sure. Definitely. Um, but yeah, wholehearted, great, fun tune. Yeah. Harmonies on the chorus are very cool. Um, you got Nuno and Gary vocally taking turns, yes. which is kind of nice, yep. you know? Um. Because like I really do, Nuno is a good singer. Um, he I is. mean, he's obviously really good at doing harmony, more so, like which he's more so known for. Yeah. But he's done so much solo work too, where he is the lead yeah. singer that people don't really know about it. Gary's just like Gary's the powerhouse. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing with with Nuno is like he's got a beautiful voice, but it suits harmony and complementing a bigger powerhouse voice because he himself, his strength is guitar, right? Yes. Playing. He's got the beautiful voice, but it's not as, it doesn't have as much oomph behind it's, it. Like he's not a subtle. Lead. Yeah. It's subtle. His tone is pretty, pretty basic. Like there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing it's like clean. that's going to wow you about Nuno Betancourt singing, but it's yeah. good. Yeah. So that's what his guitar's work is all about. So absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Wholehearted is a classic that a lot yeah. of people know as well. And, and it if is. You yeah. Say you a, don't know it. You probably know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those songs. I think there's a list somewhere. It's like one of those, you know, here's the top 100 songs that you know but don't know. Yeah, and you know what? I and want to see that list. Them. Why? Yeah. Because I've always thought I've never really wanted to do a cover band. But the only way I would is if it's songs where people go, oh, yeah, I remember that song. Not right. songs that you hear all the fucking time. Right. <laughs> like, I'm so sick of, like, um, oh, what's it called? Don't Stop Leaving Live mm-hmm. and living on a prayer live and all these songs that yep. you hear constantly. I want to hear yeah. like the ones that they may have been singles, but they weren't yeah. the single. Yeah, no, absolutely. Interesting thing about um, don't stop believing. Do you know that they don't say stop, don't stop believing until the final 40 seconds of the song? Yeah. Never once do they, do they sing it? And it is, it is the chorus. Yeah. But the chorus doesn't come in until the, the song is nearly over. That's right. That's yeah. true. Very, There's very no... interesting. That song there, never would have made it post 2010. <laughs> no. Never would have made it on the radio. First of all, you need your three minutes and 30 seconds, but you did grab me, grab me within five or 10. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Totally crazy. And I love yeah, Journey, but that's not the song. Cause I think people have just killed it for me. It's yeah. overplayed, but um, I'd rather hear separate ways or something like that. Yeah. You know? Separate ways is a great tune. Mm-hmm. Um, or. Oh, what was the, I think that's actually the one I was thinking of, but yeah, great, great. song. and the video for that is so hysterical. Speaking of Jimmy Fallon, right? Their video, he's re- recreated separate ways, worlds apart. So funny. Um, it's, it's fun. You mentioned that you, so 
at the Big Valley Music Festival, you saw Extreme open for Brian Adams. So yeah. um, around Windsor, not too far. It's now called the DTE Energy Music Theater. It's outside of Detroit. It used to be called Pine Knob. And I think okay. this year they just decided that they're recalling it or renaming it Pine Knob. Okay. Um, so even when I was going to university um, the first time in Windsor, everybody still called it Pine Knob, even though it was DTE Energy Music Theater. So I saw at Pine Knob Journey mm. open for Boston. Whoa. Yeah. And I think they were doing like a co-headlining thing. So like this was been 2000, maybe 2000, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, so like one night Boston would close, the next night Journey would close, like that kind of thing. Um, mm. But yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal show. And I got the tickets for free. I won them on the radio. You lucky guy. <laughs> yeah, phenomenal. Because of course, and then, you know, almost 10 years later, um, uh, what's his name? The the Brad Delp, the singer from yeah. uh, Boston, um, committed suicide, sadly. But mm -hmm. uh, what a phenomenal show. All of those guys, such a, like ridiculously good players. Jeff Scott Soto was actually singing for Journey at that time, um, who's, you know, great singer. I don't, I never thought he was a really great fit for the band, but he's a good mm. showman. He's got a strong voice. You know, it was a hell of a show, but yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, didn't Journey recently be inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame? They may have. I feel I like Steve Perry was there for that. Uh, yeah, they probably did. It's possible. Can't yeah. quite remember. Yeah. I'm glad that um, Bon Jovi was before Alec John Such passed away, though. Yes. Because I, I was actually really surprised. He had a heart attack, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, it it's fairly recent, right? It was just yeah. in the it was just in my news feed. I remember seeing that and going, "Oh man, what a bummer!" Yeah, two weeks yeah. ago. So, but um, but yeah, um, not to swerve too far off, but to just do like <laughs> some ending ending comments on porno graffiti. Um, this is an album I would still recommend to people. You know, 100%. as we're doing today, uh, if you like your rock but you don't like the cheese there's not yeah. there's just that one song that's a little cheesy <laughs> <laughs> yep but it's fantastic extreme yeah. is one of the most underrated bands like you people don't know about what they can do and what they've done and everyone should know about them totally yeah i'm it. in full agreement and again from a guitar playing standpoint if you if you want to find and listen to it, a phenomenal guitar player extreme is extreme is the band to find um nuno is just i mean we've been raving about him for an hour and a half at this point so if people don't go if people don't know it by now we really like nuno um but you know yes. even just 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 the the other thing about this band too and this gets back to musicianship is that they all play together to show their strengths like yeah um paul geary as a drummer is nothing quote unquote phenomenal to listen to until you realize the pocket that he's playing and the groove that he's setting up for the band to exist in. Mm. It takes a special kind of drummer to be able to do that. Like, I'm not a huge Chili Peppers fan, but like Chad, um, what's his name? I can't remember his last name even. He, you know, Will Ferrell. Anyway. Yeah, Will Ferrell. <laughs> he's another one of those guys. Like, he just lays back and just grooves. And you're like, man, if you took him out of that band, they wouldn't be the same band. Yep. You know, same with, with Paul Geary. And I mean, I love Mike Mangini and great drummer, but like he's in a band now that really shows off his talents, right? He, he plays with Dream Theater. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? But Paul, but Paul and that rhythm section, again, with Pat playing bass, just like, just so good. 
so good. And Paul, I think Paul just moved on because he just didn't, I don't know if it was, he didn't want to tour anymore or if he didn't mm-hmm. want to just play live anymore, but he became a very successful manager yes, um, and, and promoter in music with his yep. uh, ma- global management company. Um, Godsmack being probably the biggest artist that he Yeah, he found with. them, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, so he had a lot of success in in that regard, and I think yeah. he still continues to do that to this day. So good for him, yeah, for sure. Wicked awesome. <laughs> yeah, wicked, wicked pizza. <laughs> yeah, Boston. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much, Nick, and it's been really cool to get to know you and chat. Honestly, I had a great time talking with you. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me, and thank you, and it's been fun yeah. and chatting extreme and music and yeah, Canadiana, all that kind of good stuff. No women allowed. and listen for a second you know you can follow us on twitter at nostalgia dope instagram at dope underscore nostalgia visit our website at www.dopenostalgia.com or pick up the phone and call us at 780-851-8785 this podcast is licensed by socan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work